the book of Mark, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I echo the sentiments of our assistant pastor. I hate daylight savings time. It's amazing. Girl, you need to pray. Only the government would think you could cut off the end of a blanket, sew it to the top, and have a longer blanket. That's an old Indian proverb, if you didn't know. It's not. Somebody said, well, they did it for the farmers. No, they didn't. Farmers don't care. They get up when the sun gets up anyway. Their sleep schedule does not change. Whatever. Here we are. So thank you for being here, even though you might be more tired than usual. And we should just stretch. Lord is my strength. Thank you, Lord. This is the rest. Which will cause a weary to find rest. In Jesus' name. Mark chapter 2. Verse 1. So good to have everybody with us today. And again, he entered into Capernaum. Man, Capernaum. That sounds like a fun place. After some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. Somebody say it got noisy. And straightway. That means pretty quick. Many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born or carried. That's what the E on the end of born means. Of four. If, it, if the E wasn't there, it'd just be weird. The E is there, so it's not weird. They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, not the media, but because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be Forgiven thee. We're going to preach this morning with the help of the Holy Ghost. Their faith. Their faith. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer on this Sunday morning. Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for everything that you have done for us. God, I thank you for your presence that's here in such a strong and powerful and mighty way this morning. God, I thank you for the faith of your people. I pray, God, that you would take us from faith to faith this morning. God, I pray that you would encourage someone, that you would strengthen a body, strengthen a mind, strengthen a spirit, strengthen our faith in the name of Jesus, that somebody would be filled with your spirit today for the very first time. For God, I, I pray that somebody would be refilled with your spirit, God. Refreshed, renewed, regenerated again and again and again. Strengthened, renewed. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Why don't we clap our hands this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Their faith. Now this story... I have a hard time just saying it's a story. This, when I say it's a story, it sounds fictional. It's not 
fictional. It's not fictitious. It was not made up. It was real. This is a real account. Let's call it an account. The account of this man and his plight and this occasion, this meeting with Jesus and not just the man who was sick with the palsy, but also his four friends. This account is listed elsewhere in the Gospels by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They, they all give a varied form of this account. But Mark seems to have the most pertinent details. There are some details that I like that Mark threw into this story to help kind of set the, the context of what was going on. Uh, we find that Jesus had kind of slipped back into Capernaum after some days. That he had been away and he kind of slips back into town. He's kind of trying to fly under the radar. He's been teaching a lot. He's been preaching a lot. He's a little tired. He's God manifesting flesh. He's tired. His flesh is weary. It's a little wore out. Been traveling. Traveling's fun, but getting to where you're going is the hard part. And then getting back from where you were going is the hard part. So Jesus is kind of trying to slip in to town. And some believe that he's in the house of Simon Peter in Capernaum. But he could not be hid. There is a sighting of Jesus. There's noise. Hey, did you hear that the master is back in town? Oh, really? Well, where'd you hear that? Who'd you hear that from? Well, I heard it from this person who heard it from this person who heard it from this person who heard it from Simon Peter's mother-in-law. I don't know. Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, which means that Simon Peter was married. Maybe they heard from Peter's wife. But however it came about, the noise began to buzz around town. And before long, there were gathered together around this house in Capernaum. I'm not going to call it Simon Peter's house officially because we don't officially know, but it could have been. Uh, but they're gathered around this, this house in Capernaum, and no doubt they begin to hear a noise outside the doors. And maybe the, the master of the house opens a window a little bit and they said, oh, Jesus your rest is over. Here they come. They're coming out of alleys. They're coming down the sidewalks. They're kicking up dust. They want to be where Jesus is at. They are not so concerned with the fact that maybe Jesus is just trying to slip into town and get a little bit of rest before he starts teaching again. Maybe his throat's a little dry. His voice is a little crackly because he's been talking a lot. He's been teaching a lot. He's been performing miracles. But however it happens, he cannot be hid because they want to come to where Jesus is at. There is a need. There is a genuine eagerness that begins to buzz through the streets of Capernaum. And when that eagerness to be in the presence of the Lord strikes his heart, then Jesus makes up his mind, I will not turn them away. I will not turn them down no matter how tired I am in body, no matter how weary I am. I will not turn them away. And so they come. And so he allows them to come until there is no more room to receive them. They've pressed into the house. They've bottlenecked out to the door. There's no room to get any more people into this house. They're pressed onto the front porch. 
They're back in the street. And then from around the corner, you can hear Jesus preaching the word to them. Mark is the only of the synoptic gospel writers who paints this vividly uh, painted picture. The crowd flocking to this humble home. It's overflowing in its modest capacity. It's blocking the doorway. They're clustering around the house outside as far as they could to hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And, and there he is preaching and speaking the word to them. He's proclaiming his mission as he had done in their synagogue. And so he's doing in their house. And that is the moment that he is interrupted by the friends of a man. And these friends had faith. They come to him. No doubt they, they're scurrying. No doubt they had heard the noise. They had heard the buzz. And one friend might have heard it first. And then he went and grabbed his other friend and said, Hey, did you hear that Jesus of Nazareth is back in town? Yes, that Jesus, that miracle worker is back in town. Do you remember Joe? What might happen if we could get Joe, the man who's sick with the palsy? I don't know that his name is Joe. It might have been Copernicus. I don't know. We'll call him Joe. What if we could get our buddy to where Jesus was at? Did you hear that he's healing the sick? Did you hear he turned water into wine? Did you hear that he healed a nobleman's son? Did you know that that man, there's something special about him? And so they start looking around and they say, you know what? The two of us could go get him, but it would be a lot faster if we could go find Frank and Bubba and they could help us carry Joe to where Jesus was at. And so they go and they find their other two friends and they say, hey, listen, you know that guy that we grew up with? He went to high school with him. However, we went to synagogue with him, whatever. And we played baseball and, and cricket or whatever they played as children. And, and remember that guy that, that now he's sick with the palsy and he can't get around? What if we could get him to Jesus? What if we could get him into the house where Jesus is at? If we could just get him there. If we could just bring him to where Jesus was at. I know he's been to every doctor that he could go to. I I know that he can't get around on his own but guess what because he can't get around on his own whether he wants to go or not I believe if we can get him there if we can get him there and so they run I don't think they walk I don't think they messed around they go and they find their friend who is sick with palsy. The word palsy here refers to having been weakened, having been disabled. He's feeble. He's either partially or completely paralyzed. And they go and they get their friend. And all four, one on each corner of this guy's bed. And they are hurrying. Come on, Frank. Come on, Bubba. Pick it up, dude. One foot in front of the other. We've got to get to where Jesus is at. And they're bouncing. And he can't even hang on. But when they could not come nigh to Jesus, when they could not get close, because then they turned that last corner. And I think for an instant, their hearts dropped. Oh, man. How are we going to get his bed through this crowd? Maybe they went up. Maybe they started shaking people. Hey, let us through. We got a friend. Who's, Man, shut up. I want to hear him. Stop talking during the preaching. They looked around. They said, you know what? We're not going to be satisfied with just trying to bring our friend to Jesus. I'm not going to be satisfied just getting him into the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm not going to be satisfied just getting him on the right street. But I want my friend to meet the Lord because I know that if I can get him there, anything is possible. So they start looking around and they start noticing the fact that the houses in Capernaum, whether they were one or two stories, we're not quite sure, but they were constructed so that there was the, the rooftops were flat and so it provided extra living space. Likely there were stairs on the outside of the house. They said, hey, 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 we're not going to fight with these people. See those stairs? Let's go. And so they jostle their friend up. And they're on this housetop. They uncovered the roof. Maybe one of the friends had his ear down to the ceiling. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. No, he's not in this corner. I can hear his voice, but it's a lot louder over here. It's a lot, no, 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 maybe if we bring him. Yep, right here, right here. And so they grab whatever the roof covering was. One of the other gospels makes it sound like it was tile. And they start ripping tiles off the roof. They start opening up the roof of this house. What are you doing, man? You come to my house and start ripping the roof off and you see what happens. There's going to be little holes in that roof. coming in my house not today Satan not happening but whoever's house if it was Simon Peter's house he's probably like oh, where's my sword the words of Jesus and Jesus never stops teaching he never stops preaching he's preaching to them about the mission of God he's preaching to them about a kingdom that is otherworldly he's preaching to them about something that is greater than the natural it's greater than a Roman empire it's it's not just a, based on the on where you where you're from it's not based on your ethnicity it's not based upon the language of earthly language that you speak but he's preaching to them and he's casting vision and all of a sudden these four friends are on top of the roof right over the place where Jesus is at they're making a hole in the rooftop his house in Capernaum and when they had broken it up they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay when Jesus saw their faith, I don't believe that those men let him down. Said, okay, hey, listen, listen just, just hang on to that rope. We might have to bring him back up. No. Frank. Let go of the rope. He's on the ground. He's there. And they're dropping the ropes down on the dude's face. You're carrying your own bed out. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Well, Bubba, I wasn't expecting that. Neither were the scribes. They were sitting there and they were reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Notice what begins to happen because there were four men on a rooftop with a buddy who needed to come to Jesus. And God said, you know what? I've seen their faith. I'm getting ready to let you know that divinity has stepped into humanity. Not only can I heal his, uh, his palsy, but I can forgive his sins. He said, I'm, I've been waiting on faith like this. And in Mark chapter 5, he begins ripping off the conciliatory roof to his identity. Amen. If I can get him where 
Jesus' act. Immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? What's easier? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He's talking to the crowd of scribes. But just so you know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And then he looks down at the sick of the palsy. And he says, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this Passion. We had seen people come to the Lord of their own power, of their own accord, and God had healed them. Jesus had healed the blind man. Jesus had healed those that had come to him of their own power. But we never seen it like this before. We never seen somebody else carry a man up on a roof and let him down because they were desperate for their friend to have healing. Let me preach to you today. There's more power in your faith than what you dreamed of. You might have somebody that you're inviting to church and you say, you know what, listen, I need you to come. I want you to come. I want you to come. I know if you can come, God can heal you. It's not predicated upon their faith alone. But if you'll get them to the house of God, your faith can allow miracles to happen in the life of somebody else. God said, listen, friend, I can see your faith and I'll work for your buddy because of your faith. The man on the bed being lowered down through the ceiling might have been thinking, my friends have really done it this time. Spitballs in fifth grade were one thing, but this? Oh man, if I could, I'd crawl under a rug. We don't know. Luke chapter 5 puts it this way. Verse 17. Came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching. There were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Notice, Luke describes the exact same situation, a little different. Luke's a physician. Luke is focused on the profession of those who were there. There were Pharisees there from every town of Galilee. This wasn't a small shindig. They didn't just come from Capernaum. They came from all of those towns around the Sea of Galilee. They came from Judea. They came from Jerusalem. It wasn't just a local crowd. They had all gathered there. And there were doctors of the law who were sitting by. Scribes. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and lay him before them. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. It's not just a crowd. They're not just a crowd pressing on the door. Luke says it was a multitude. 
They went up on the housetop. And let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. They had gone up those steps. In walled cities, these flat-roofed houses usually form continuous terraces from one end of the city to the other. There might have been people on adjoining roofs looking at the crowd. And what are these guys doing? They uncovered the roof and when they had broken it up. It wasn't just, oh man, there was a little hatch in the roof that they opened. It wasn't like, oh man, they had a, a skylight with no glass. And they just let him down through this window in the roof. Brother George, the language indicates they injured the roof. Literally, that's what the, the language indicates. They did damage to the roof so they could let down the bed of their friend by whatever means necessary. I've got to get my friend to the feet of Jesus. My friend has a need and he doesn't have the strength to come on his own. My friend's got a problem. I'm tired of seeing my friend struggle. I'm tired of seeing my friend go through hell. I'm tired of seeing my friend being weak. I'm tired of my friend's body being wrecked with pain. I know he may not understand the urgency, but I do, so I'm going to bug him. I'm going to pester him. And when I hear that Jesus is working, I don't care what he says, he's going. And you might have somebody that you say, man, hey, guess what? Tomorrow's Sunday. Can I pick you up for church? Can I pick you up for church? Hey, tomorrow's Wednesday. Can I pick you up for church? No, please, leave me alone. Or they may just not respond. And they say, I don't understand why you're doing this. I don't understand why you're hounding me to come to church. I'm hounding you to come to church because Jesus is there. Jesus is there and whatever you have need of Jesus can meet your need don't stop pressing friend don't stop pushing friend because your faith is what it takes when they don't have the faith on their own when they don't have the strength on their own when they don't have the fortitude on their own when they don't have the ability on their own it's your faith that can break the barriers it's your faith that can rip the cover off of a miracle it's your faith that can bring them to the feet of the master Their friends could have been daunted by the multitude. His friends could have been daunted by the fact these were not just the local Pharisees. These were Pharisees from every town, from Galilee to Judea and Jerusalem. Everybody who was anybody was there. Doctors of the law. They're used to having everything prim and proper. Everything in order. And we're going to walk in and tear the roof off. They've got the creases and their little ephods just right. And their little funny hats are just perfect and they're polished. And I don't know if they polished their sandals, but their sandals were probably polished if they were wearing them. And here we are tearing the roof off. Why? Because it doesn't matter what I have to do. My friend has a need. And I might have to get ugly with my prayer life. I might have to pray ugly tears. I might have to pray ugly prayers. There might be some times in prayer where I feel my body shake under the power of the unction of the Holy Ghost. There might be times when I go into travail and it's like birthing a soul. But their faith is what got the job done. Amen. 
talk about his bed here in a minute. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. I read an article this morning. It's from the January 8th, 2006 edition of, believe it or not, the L.A. Times. Pastor, why in the world are you reading the L.A. Times? Because the title of the article was The House of the Spirit. Capital S. Huh. The House of Spirit. I'll just read it to you. This guy whose name I'm going to butcher. Okay. Silbrian Kalampusin. Say that five times fast. He learned to sleep through the late night foot stomping, tambourine shaking, and speaking in tongue. L.A. Times. He got used to the unexpected visitors, such as the woman from Montana who showed up before dawn with kids in tow. Asking for permission to come in and pray. They drove so, so far, the man says, we couldn't say no. If growing up in the little house brought inconveniences, they were small. Small prices to pay for the privilege of dwelling in a holy place that helped stoke his faith. The house was built in 1896 at 216 North Bonnie Bray Street. It is revered for its role in a century ago at the ignition of the fiery, ecstatic form of Christianity, still reading for the, from the L.A. Times, known as Pentecostalism. A religious movement, listen to this, this is the L.A. Times. A religious movement that may surpass the movie business as Los Angeles' most influential export. It was at the Bonnie Bray house that believers set off a movement of exuberant worship that has grown from a scoffed at sect to the world's fastest growing branch of Christianity with more than 500 million participants around the globe, 2006. And as Pentecostalism explodes in Latin America, Africa, and parts of Asia, the fire hasn't gone out at Bonnie Bray Street. The article goes on to say the unremarkable one-story structure in historic Filipino town near Echo Park isn't exactly Lords, whatever that is. Some days, not a single soul shows up during visiting hours. Written out by hand on a piece of paper taped to a wall near the gate in the security fence. But pilgrims do find their way. And this man, a 25-year-old financial analyst who now lives two doors down with his mother, uh, a woman by the name of Sol Kalimpusin, expects their numbers to increase as the 100-year anniversary of the Pentecostal movement's birth approaches. You can feel the presence of God wherever you are, he says. Standing in the uncluttered living room, its walls bare white. But in this place, this is where the Holy Spirit fell in North America. That was in 1906. When it fell, shortly after an African-American preacher named William Seymour came to Los Angeles from Texas. Seymour was raised in a Catholic home, but was drawn as an adult to a fledgling sect that stressed the need for believers to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit as described in the Bible's book of Acts. Thank you, Los Angeles Times. His notions about speaking in tongues did not go over well at the storefront church in L.A. 
that he had been asked to lead as pastor. Within days of his arrival, Seymour was kicked out by the church. But before long, he was leading Bible studies in the house on Bonnie Bray Street, which was owned at the time by a husband and wife who were believers. And on April 9th, 1906, some in Seymour's group began speaking in tongues. The word traveled fast and worshipers flocked to the house. I imagine the crowds that we know took place there on Bonnie Bray Street were much like the house at Capernaum. One day, so many gathered for a service that they spilled out onto the front porch. And there were so many that the porch collapsed because of the weight of its occupants. Seeking larger quarters, Seymour and his congregation moved to a building on Azusa Street, what is now Little Tokyo. Daily services at the Apostolic Faith Mission drew hundreds of ecstatic worshipers inspired by the New Testament story the day of Pentecost, when believers gathered in Jerusalem after Christ's ascension to heaven and received the Holy Spirit, descending his tongues of fire. The press, the media this time, the press mocked the Azusa Street crowd. Weird babble of tongues, declared a headline in the April 18th, 1906 issue of the Los Angeles Times. This is still the Los Angeles Times reporting it 100 years later. Quoting their own headlines. New sect of fanatics is breaking loose. Many local Protestant church leaders opposed the new movement. Not only for its enthusiastic style, but also for its multi- Racial makeup and African American leader. Here was this little upstart, racially integrated mission that was making all these outlandish claims about God's power and about miracles, says Cecil M. Robeck Jr., a church history professor at Pasadena's Fuller Theological Seminary. Pentecostal himself and the author of a book about the Azusa Street Mission and Revival. The L.A. newspapers were scandalized by the fact that white folks and black folks were hugging and praying together. Let me tell you something. When you get full of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter the color of your skin it does not matter the race of which you belong it doesn't matter the language that you speak it doesn't matter your background it does not matter your past all that matters is you're baptized in the name of Jesus filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost born again of the water and of the spirit and let me tell you that when the Holy Ghost fires begin to burn it's going to draw a crowd it's going to draw some spectators and your faith can spread like wildfire to the point that the streets become flooded. The article goes on, but what's always fascinated me is that there was a group of people who wanted God so desperately. They walked away from comforts. They traveled. They literally stayed up for days praying. Longing for a move of God. Frank Bartleman described praying for upwards of 12 hours. They would come in for a prayer meeting 
with no preacher scheduled and they would start praying and the Holy Ghost would move and someone would stand up and start preaching the word and the Holy Ghost would fall and they'd all fall out in the spirit they're speaking in other tongues in the Bible or, or they, would, they would preach and they would pray and they would preach and they would pray and then they would pray and they would pray and they would pray but their faith the faith that God was moving like he did in the book of Acts began to draw and began to put races back together in 1906 before there was ever a 1960s civil rights movement there was a 1906 apostolic movement that integrated blacks and whites and Asians and Filipinos and it doesn't matter doesn't matter the color of their skin their faith brought them together Sick with a palsy's bed. Luke 5.19 said, when they could find not, when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Mark had said they let down his bed. It's the same original word. Luke, his writings were translated to say couch. But the original word means a pallet or some sort of camping bed that was used by the poor. Maybe it was a frame of sticks twine or rope webbing so the man could be carried where he needed to go. It wasn't fancy. It wasn't clean. It was an identifying mark in that man's life. He's poor. He's sick. He's impotent or powerless. Potent means powerful. Impotent is powerless. He's impotent. That's why he's got a bed made like that. It's lightweight. That's why his four friends just picked up a corner each and ran him across town. It's the identifying mark. We find the same word used and the account of the third miracle Jesus performed. The first one was at the marriage in Cana of Galilee. The second was healing of the nobleman's son. This is the third recorded miracle in John chapter 5 and verse 5. A certain man was there. He's walking into the pool of Bethesda, into the porch where the pool of Bethesda is at. A certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie or lying down and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Jesus saw the man. He could see the pain in the man's eyes that had been rocking his body. He saw the depths of despair. And he asked that man just that simple question of five words. Wilt? Thou be made whole. Here's the contrast between John 5 and the book of Mark. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. You know the story. The pool of Bethesda was a place of healing. That at certain times an angel would come down and touch the water. Trouble the water, the Bible says. And the first person to get into that pool of water would be healed. 
And so this man has been impotent. He had had an infirmity, very likely, if not the same type, a very similar type of palsy that the man in the book of Mark was plagued with. And Jesus walks in and sees him in his despair and says, Sir, wilt thou be made whole? That man said, listen, I don't have anybody. I don't have anybody that can put me into the pool when the water is troubled. I know if I could get there, if I could get there, I would be made whole. But I don't have any friends to help me into the water. That same word for bed is used in verse 8. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. It's the same type of bed. It's the same type of marker that this man in the book of Mark had. It's that flimsy little bed that was easy to carry and it was easy to be transported because the man weighed himself, the, the, whatever, whatever he weighed, but his bed couldn't be heavy because he had to be transported by other people. And so it was marked. This man is poor. This man has got issues. This man is sick. You can tell by looking at him that he's not like everybody else. But this man didn't have any friends. But when Jesus walked in, he said, now son, you got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I know that you believe that you could be uh, touching the water when it was troubled. You could be healed. But you can't get there because you don't have any friends but take up your bed and walk I want you to carry that thing that has once identified you that thing you've never been able to carry on your own that everybody else has had to carry for you and everybody else has had to bear the load of whatever situation is in your life and everybody else has had to Help you with. Jesus, I want to be healed. I want to be helped, but I don't have anybody. Immediately. The man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, hey, 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 it's not lawful to carry your bed. I don't believe that God has designed us Continually bear that same burden. Whether it's physical, whether it's mental, emotional, spiritual. If I can get my friend to the feet of Jesus, I'm dropping the ropes. I love you. I carried you here. But now you're in the presence of the one. You're in the presence of the one. And I'm just going to go ahead and drop the ropes in faith. You're carrying your own bed out. You're carrying your own bed out. <clears throat> I know before might have been weak in body. I know before you might have been weak in your mind, weak in your spirit. But I'm expecting a miracle. Frank, drop the rope. Maybe one, maybe two of them. Drop the rope. That's kind of rude. Dude, we just ripped the roof off this house and you're going to talk to me about being rude. No, we brought him here. Because we know we brought him here 
Because we understand. Anybody can help my friend. Jesus can help my friend. And Jesus may not do it because of his faith. He may not have faith. She may not have the faith to get it done. But I want to know today. I want to know this morning. If I've got anybody in this place that says, you know what? If it's my prayer, I'll pray the prayer. If it's my voice, I'll speak into their world. If some a burden needs carried, I'm willing to carry the burden to get them to the feet of Jesus. The identifying marker of the beds of the sick and the poor is found again this time in the book of Acts. Chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira have just lied to the Holy Ghost. Word is spreading like wildfire that the apostles are operating in like manner, like power that Jesus Christ had. Acts 5 and verse 12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. There's a powerful display of the power of God that's continuing to happen because the disciples are operating in unity. One place, one mind, one accord. Verse 14, the believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. Verse 15, such an atmosphere. Insomuch that they, not the apostles, not Peter, James, and John, but friend, family, brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches that at the least shadow of Peter passing might overshadow some of them. Whereas the friends had torn the roof off, it set a precedent that said if they can't get there themselves, I'll carry them. They need a miracle. They need transportation. I'll be the pack mule if that's what it needs to be. They need the hand of God to touch them. They need the power of God to touch them. We're not tearing roofs off of houses anymore. But it's to a point where we believe if Peter's shadow would just touch that man lying on that bed, it doesn't matter if he's marked as a poor man. It doesn't matter his condition. It doesn't matter his social status. It doesn't matter his physical ailment. If we can get him into the presence of the children of God, anything is possible. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one. Notice they were coming out of all of these cities around Jerusalem. I believe it goes back to that encounter in the book of Mark. When the Pharisees and the doctors of the law and the multitude had come out from every city around the Sea of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and they had watched that man who they had given up hope on. They had watched that man whom they expected he's going to finish his days living on this portable bed under the power of everybody else. He's never going to be able to do anything on his own. He's never going to be able to, to live on his own. He's just, this is this just going, what's going to be. It's just how it's going to be. But they remembered the look in the eyes of Jesus when they lowered him down by ropes and the ropes dropped and they began to remember that that same spirit that was in Jesus is now in these apostles and if we can get these other folks who are in beds just like that guy was I'm not going to have to lower him down it's just a shadow I'm done preaching stand 
Musicians, come. It was the desperate cries of one group that brought an outpouring in the book of Acts that spilled over and affected hundreds of thousands in the early church. It was the same manner in 1906 with those gathered in Los Angeles. The porch of that house couldn't hold them. The street was filled with people worshiping. I've had the opportunity to go there. But Heath and I went together. We stood on that porch now that it's been reconstructed. We've walked that street and you see trees, eucalyptus trees that are huge, 150 years old. You walk down that street and you think, man, these trees were here when miracles were happening in the street. These trees were here when they were getting the Holy Ghost in the middle of a Los Angeles Filipino suburb. The faith of those people broke through the Spirit. They were defeating racism of the day with the Spirit of the Kingdom. Miracles and signs and wonders were taking place at exponential rates. But would you believe if I said this morning that those same things could happen in your home? You can have exponentially powerful prayer meetings in your living room that pour out onto your porch, that pour out into your street. You can pray somebody through to the Holy Ghost in your front yard. They may not have the faith, but if the atmosphere of your home is thick with the Spirit, then anything is possible. It can draw people to come. There were folks from states away. That single mother with the small children that drove from Montana to California because she wanted a touch of the Holy Ghost. It can happen. It was more than just a healing that day in Capernaum. It was more than just a little showing of faith. Jesus saw the faith of the four. He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Because of the faith of your friends, I'm letting them and everybody that's within the earshot know that divinity has packed itself into humanity and that God is walking among you. I'm here to preach to you this morning that your faith can bring the miraculous into the lives of your family members. Your faith can bring the miraculous into the lives of your friends. I want to be that kind of friend that their faith will make a difference. kind of friend that says no listen I know you've tried everything else and it's not working but I've got one more option for you I know the man who can make it all happen I know the man that can not just heal your body he can save your soul I know you may not have the power of your own uh, of your own body to get yourself there but let me come pick you up let me bring you to church let me bring you to an altar let me tell you God can do it God wants to do it today if you need the Holy Ghost evidence of which is speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance you may not understand it all that's okay I don't understand everything about it but what I do know is that it's God's Spirit living inside of me taking control of my body filling me with power filling me with virtue sanctifying me making me holy he said the same God that can heal your body can also forgive your sins interesting to me is his statement What's harder? For me to heal his body or forgive his sin? 
One's not harder than the other for God. Do you believe He can forgive your sins? Do you believe He can save your soul? Do you believe He can heal your body? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. What is God going to do? What can God do when He sees your faith? Not just for yourself, but you know need to know today that God can do a work in your friend's life because of your faith. This altar is open this morning. 